the New Testament today. They had the Old Testament writings, the writings of the prophets, and all these other guys, but they didn't have all the same writings that we do. The, the Galatians didn't necessarily have the writings to, to, to Ephesians. Uh, those who were in Thessalonica didn't have the writings that were to Timothy. And so we, we are privileged to be able to have all of the, uh, all the books and the information that we have today available to us so that we can uh, adequately and rightly celebrate Jesus in a way that is honoring and pleasing to him without falling into heresy. And St. Athanasi uh, Athanasius, he was dealing with a lot of heretical thought processes as well in his day. Um, and so I'm, a very, I'm very excited to get to that, um, to that book and kind of talk through some of the points of why we go through the process of celebrating Christmas and why Christ had to become born by a virgin and why he um, had to come in the form of a human as well, why he had to do that, how he's fully God, fully man, why that process is, is very important for us. And, uh, and why we talk through this. Because there's a lot of New Age. Anybody ever heard of New Age stuff? There's a lot of New Age practices and belief systems that believe very contrary to what the gospel actually preaches. And, uh, and some of that starts to leak in, especially as, as we live in a charismatic community, as we believe in the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, there are some times where people who are into more New Agey practices, they start to try to implement that stuff within the church. And this is stuff that Timothy is also dealing with in his processes. We are not pulling in all these different religions and we're not applying these principles that you have learned from your previous belief systems because you feel like it fits well. Is it biblical? Is the process that we need to walk through? Is this righteous? Is this true? How valuable and important is the word to you compared to what just other people have with their experiences? And so it's important for us to go through these things. And so uh, you can recall throughout the, throughout the entirety of, of this book, you remember Timothy is or Paul is combating what in this church at Ephesus? What is he combating? You guys can shout out the answers. This one. Heresy. Yes. Whoa, you guys have been listening for the last like eight weeks. Praise the Lord. He's combating heresy. There's been her heretical teachings that have been going on in this church. People have been inadequately depicting the gospel to those who are in this community causing division, causing strife. There were people who were, who were dressing it in a, in, a, in a way that was distracting to others, not glorifying God, but showing them their own wealth and their prosperity, flaunting what they have in front of others instead of acting in humility and grace. There were people who were causing uh, couples to divorce because they told them that marriage was inadequate and not a part of what God wanted them to be. And so you see that, that there's a lot of conflict and a lot of just wacky theology that was being spoken from the pulpit at Ephesus. And so Timothy was sent here so that he can correct a lot of these things from the, uh, from the, big, the big guy, from the apostle Paul. And so he sent Timothy to this place. And then again, he told him, reminded him, hey, don't, don't be looked down upon and don't receive criticism because you're young, younger than some of these elders that are teaching this heresy. But you need to be able to bring correction. And so bring correction in a way that's uplifting and that's glorifying, but also that lets them know that they are in the wrong. We talked last week how we cannot make way, we can't compromise for people's sins. Just because we feel like it's going to hurt their feelings if we call them out on things that they're doing. We have to be true in the way that we follow after the gospel. And if we are a part of, of this community, if we really are a family, if we really are the body, that we need to be comfortable with being able to approach one another when we see things in each other's lives that are, that are not up to the standard of Christ. And it needs to be an important aspect of what we do. 
but we also need to do this in love and humility and not lording over one another, feeling like we are most important over all the other ones who are around because I'm the most righteous. Romans tells us that there is not one who is righteous, not one. And so if that's the case, then we need to be able to walk in humility with one another and know that I don't have all the answers and neither do you, but together collectively, as we read the word, as we, as we talk about the word, we'll be able to rightly divide what is correct for, for us and be able to see what's going on inside. And the Holy Spirit will illuminate those things quickly and we'll be able to start dealing with those things. But until we can become uncomfortable, it's gonna be very difficult for us to be able to walk in righteousness and holiness. And so, dear Lord, we're going to try to hit chapter 6 and get through this. We have 19 minutes. (laughs) So here we go. Chapter 6, verse 1. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. This is important for us to understand too and know because um, they are not condoning slavery and the aspect of people being, uh, being enslaved in the way that we understand. Remember, we talked a little bit about this with Titus, with the book of Titus, right? They understood slavery in a very different aspect than the way that we understand slavery from America's history. The way that they operated in in that aspect of of slavery is that that was more of an employment. That's the way that they would would pay off debts. That was the way that they went went by doing all these things. And, And what some of the things that were happening in this area was that some of the people who were working for their, uh, for what they call their masters, their employers, they were actually disrespecting them because they were called, they would find that they're equals within the kingdom, right? We are, no one is above the other as far as in the way, in the eyes of the Lord. However, there are authority structures that we're supposed to adhere to and abide by. You're not just supposed to go to your boss and like, if you don't agree with him, you like throw him the bird and say, peace out, we're the same. Like, that's not the way you're supposed to act to anything that's happening just because you're, you think a little bit differently or maybe you don't want to do something that they've employed you to do. So people were being disrespectful in the community, especially within the Christian brotherhood of one another. So the body was actually getting a bad rep for being known for people who were disrespecting those who were in authority. And so Paul is saying specifically here, no, 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 it's, it's, not, that, it's not that we want you guys to be enslaved as like the Israelites were to the Egyptians. What we want you to do is we want you to be good servants of the Lord, which means that you love other people within this process as well, too. (laughs) That means that whenever you you are serving somebody, you serve them with all humility and with with the utmost love, and you're doing everything as you would do unto Christ. So just because you're a little aggravated about maybe what you may be doing at at your office doesn't mean that you need to come to your employer with disdain. Doesn't mean you need to treat people in authority with with disdain either. You can have conversations with them, sure, absolutely. But there becomes a point to where if you're working for somebody, uh, if they ask you to do something and it's a part of your job, then you need to go ahead and do it even though it doesn't make you feel awesome. That's a part of working, (laughs) right? Anybody have a job before and you did stuff that you didn't want to have to, but you did it anyway because it was a part of the job? Yeah, 
um, you're not just supposed to feel super comfy in every single thing that you do. And so he's telling them that we need not to be comfortable with being disrespectful. And so this was a huge aspect of being able to, to be known as a community of believers who actually shows the love of Jesus in everything they do. And so he's saying specifically here, so again, the designation of slave refers to a man or woman who was the property of, in the case of like the householder, assigned to a range of duties, this type of, um, this type that requires skills in the household. Um, and so as we move further in this context, we, we see that, again, he says that, Instead, they should serve them even better because their masters are dear to them as fellow believers and are devoted to the welfare of their slaves. So this goes, this is two-handed as well. It's two-sided. Not just, hey, those of you guys who are working for people, just do what they say and stop complaining. This is also, hey, those of you guys who are employing others, you need to be able to be kind in the way that you lead. You need to lead with righteousness, with holiness, and with purity, and then also do this in a way that is respectable by others who are around there. Now, this is a lot easier to, to say to those who are believers, a lot more difficult for those who are unbelievers. But he also mentions this here. Talks about those who are, who are, um, whose names would not be slandered because, uh, because of the things that are happening here. So, those who have believing masters should not show them disrespect just because they are fellow believers. Sometimes we, it's very easy to, to speak certain ways to people who are in your family. Anybody know that? Anybody ever have family members where it's a lot easier for you to, to become very easily frustrated with? Uh, I can relate. You're a little more comfortable with them, and you have a feeling of familiarity, so you tend to pop off a little bit easier. But when it's somebody else, you're like, oh, no, I a lot more respect. It's a lot easier. But because of the familiarity with that person, it becomes a little easier for you to be disrespectful. And so Timothy's pointing out it's... We need to also be respectful to those. Don't be disrespectful just because you're within the brotherhood, because you call yourself a brother or sister in the community and you're familiar with one another. But we need to be able to have the respect for one another that we can take the time to move through conflict. And then he kind of moves and progresses a little bit further into something. He says, these things are the things that you should teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of the Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. They are conceited and understand nothing. There's an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Envy here, uh, when he says this word envy, it, it does not carry um, the rather neutral sense that we often give it. Uh, this is from one of the commentaries, uh, Philip Towner. He says, in the Greek and the Greek thought it was a vice characterized by an insistent craving for things or positions possessed by somebody else. 
So when you're envious, you're craving, you're desiring after a position that somebody else carries and holds. The way that Aristotle described it is, is he calls it a certain sorrow that's felt by those who lack what others have. It actually fits well within a traditional medical framework of disease since it gnaws away at the inner person and provokes the hatred towards others that actually destroys relationships. So when we are envious, this is something that happens from within and it starts to tear away and, and to strip away that relationship that you have, that maybe that respect you can hold for somebody else. And that just becomes something that gnaws and gnaws and gnaws and gnaws and gnaws to the point to where it divides and could explode that relationship you have with somebody. Because you're envious of their position, you may be envious of their life, maybe envious of their children, envious of their spouse's uh, relationship, maybe envious of their houses, maybe envious of their title or position, envious of their, of their knowledge base, maybe envious of their upbringing, envious of all these other things, and we start to compare ourselves to the point of detrimation. Malicious, malicious talk, this is, this is uh, sl- it could be known as like slander, but it's not blasphemy in this context. It's, it's hardly a surprising addition to this list because it occurs in similar lists elsewhere where abusive and, and defamatory uh, speech characteristic of life outside the church is denounced. So verbal attacks were apparently a typical uh, piece of the arguments associated with heresy here. So again, remember, in the full context, we're thinking of the full context of this book. Within everything that we're, we're noticing, this is something that's, that's deeply rooted in taking out heresy. So people who were learning these heretical teachings, they were learning after these, uh, these people who were teaching heresy, they're finding that they're more envious in these individuals who are able to go through certain things. The malicious talk ends up coming from the way that they understand one another and they understand their position in the body of Christ. And so malicious talk comes from this place of envy. When you are envious inside, then it becomes easier for you to talk maliciously about and to somebody. When you start to find jealousy is rooted inside, it's very easy to want to cut them down little by little because you don't enjoy something about that person. And maybe you pine after something that they have, or you just want them to be pulled to another position to where you would see them a little more as an equal. Maybe you see the Lord's hand upon them. You see favor on their life, and you're envious of that. You want that. You desire after their their favor instead of seeking after the Lord's favor for you. You start to seek after things that God has designated for somebody else, when in reality, if you would just be paying attention to the Lord in your own life, he will be able to bestow upon you the blessings that he has for you specifically. And so malicious talk becomes easy for us to get into. Because you want them to be cut down. You want them to feel lesser or lowly so that you can feel a little bit more elevated. And then he goes into evil suspicions. This corresponded naturally to the climate of sick competitiveness and the stress on their social relationships. This is a natural outgrowth of envy and obviously undermines the trust that determines successful relationships. Evil suspicions, this is where you start to conjure up and you start to try to insert your own uh, understanding of somebody's uh, rationale or maybe their own behaviors. You start to fill in the gaps on your own when there could be a massive gap in between what you know about them and what you don't know about them. 
and you start to insert your own suspicions about what happens. And typically, if you're already acting out of envy in your heart and you already have some malicious talk, the suspicions that you have tend to be a lot more evil in what you think their intentions are. And so then it starts to divide and take what could be a great relationship and start to separate more and more and more and more to where next time that you see that person, you may not be as friendly. Or maybe you have you have a bit of suspicion behind that smile that you have. And in every conversation, you're actually looking for a way to justify what you were thinking about in your mind. And that justification is going to be something that drives a wedge further and further in the community and the body of Christ. Again, this is combating the heresy that was being taught that was dividing their community. This was happening throughout the body of Christ in the church of Ephesus, that there were wedges being driven in between these relationships because there were so many suspicions and so many people suppressing others and pushing back against one another, so many false teachings that were being spoken about that inadequately displayed the love of Christ to one another so that when they would meet together, they, it would be just like a, the most like ridiculous, uh, like dramatic I don't know, Telemundo that you could see. Like, it would be like the, the craziest, uh, the craziest, um, uh, what are the, soap operas. It, it'd be just like a soap opera. Everybody hates each other. Everybody's putting each other down. Everybody's doing whatever they want to. And then just like from last week, we talked about how people were, uh, these widows were inappropriately going around and sleeping with other people and then collecting things as a widow when they should just be going and getting married because they had the aspect to, they had the ability to. And so it was just like a soap opera. People were sleeping with people. People were running around talking junk about each other. It was ridiculous. And so we see this throughout this church in Ephesus, and Paul is coming specifically against this. And I love that he even goes through at the very end of this, he says, in constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So the whole reason why they were doing things that they were doing and living a, a quote-unquote godly lifestyle is so that they can receive a financial blessing and contribution. They thought that that was the thing that could be used to deliver a financial blessing for them instead of actually seeking after Jesus. Verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. I'm going to say that again. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Are you content in just living a lifestyle that is godly, that is righteous, that is holy, that is pure? Are you content in just doing that, knowing that it pleases the Father's heart when you live in such a way? Or are you looking for a little added something, something just for doing things that you're supposed to be doing in the first place? For we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and, tr and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. We see here that the desire for wealth makes one susceptible to corrupt suggestions and terrible opportunities to advance just for financial gain. People end up in tons of compromising positions when you start throwing dollar bill signs up in front of certain things. I can do, I can, I can shave off just a little bit here and that'll be all right. I can, I can get a little something there. I can make a little extra money if I'm just a little dishonest here. That'd be all right. Make a little extra there. It's 
so we see that there's that there's a progression here those who want to get rich fall into temptation so there's he goes through this aspect of showing what falling looks like first one is temptation james says um i read it earlier today that we are tempted and enticed by our own lustful desires others say that we are drug away by those lustful desires those those fleshly desires that we may have and lust doesn't mean sexual doesn't always mean sexual it can mean sexual but it does not always mean sexual desires when you lust after something you're you're you are pining after it and you will go over and beyond and do anything you can to take hold of whatever that thing is so the first one is temptation the next one is a trap or a snare this moves a sequence from just enticement to an actual entrapment a predicament then the third element it becomes more complex as it identifies the inward forces or appetites that's unleashed by the desire for wealth as it says that that those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction desires in and of themselves may be positive and natural that's great but in the present context that Paul is speaking to Timothy and frequently in the New Testament, the term describes human desires that have gotten out of balance and are pursued without appropriate restraint. There are a lot of things that we try to put a hard rule on top of because you've seen that somebody has fallen to that. But in reality, many times we end up pushing people into religiosity than actually showing what it means for someone to practice restraint in their lives. So when then finally, when, when that someone, and this happens with kids a lot of times too, you see that they're, they're, they're put in this little, you have like these little boxes that some kids get put in to the point to where um, once they leave and, 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 and take off from the house and they go off to college, they now have a freedom that they're able to just see what it's like to do certain things. And they end up going just nuts, crazy as they jump into all this activity. And so instead of, instead of pushing as just a hardcore religious activity and rule, we need to show them what, we need to show people what it's like to actually practice restraint in their lives, in totality, in everything that you're doing. Because then if you just have a rule for one thing, when you, when you walk into and you find something that you haven't heard a rule for, now it's fair game to do whatever it is that you want to, and you don't know how to practice restraint at all in your life. So you don't know how to walk in that restraint. You don't know how to, how to practice, um, uh, whether if it's moderation or just practice the ability to say no. Because all you know is this is a rule. And that's all the rule is, and this is what's going to happen. And so if you're able to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and practice restraint in your life as time goes on, then whenever things pop up that you haven't heard of before, you can actually hear the voice of the Holy Spirit say, not this one. You'll actually know, okay, there's, there's a threshold that I cannot jump over because that will lead me into destruction. And we see that this happens a lot of times with money. Money is a root of all kinds of evil. The reason why that is, and it doesn't say that money is the root of all evil, it is a root. Because there's other roots that you can find that lead to destruction. But this is a root of all kinds of different types of evil. Because you find that lots of nefarious activity that people tend to get into deals with the idea of needing, desiring, um, seeking after 
loads and loads of money. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is a root. It's a root that actually deals with the, with the heart issue of what are you elevating on the throne of your own life? Is it an idealized lifestyle that money can get you? And so you tend to compromise everything you do because now you're bowing at the feet of the dollar bill? Or is it Christ so that whenever things come up in your life, you're able to combat that in a way that's, that's pure and holy? Verse 11, but if, you, man, it, but if you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate, he made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. So command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. Grace be with you. read verse 17 through 19 again and then we'll close command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment command them to do good to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share in this way they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they will take hold of the life that is truly life. This goes for not just people who have money, but people who desire to have money. It is so easy to put our hope in a dollar bill that we don't have, especially in Southeast Missouri, where we have a lot of people who don't have a lot of money, don't come from a lot of money, don't have opportunity for a lot of this. It's very easy to put hope in a dollar bill to solve our problems and to solve any issues and to have the life that you've so ever wanted because it's the American dream to have certain things and items and, 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 and the type of la lavish lifestyle that America can, can produce for someone. But let me tell you what, that dollar bill, you can't take with you whenever you leave this earth. You can affect people's lives, but it doesn't mean that your life itself is being lived for Christ. There's a lot of good people who have a lot of money and they do a lot of good things with that money, but that won't buy their way to salvation. That doesn't give them the gift of salvation. That doesn't give them 
an easy access into relationship with Jesus where they can just write a check and then get what they want. So we need not to be people who seek after a dollar bill so that we can get things the way that we want it to be done. But we need to be able to glorify God for what he has given us right now, what he's given us now, and steward that well. Because it's going to be very hard for us to steward something that God is, is, that we think that God wants to give us if we cannot steward what we have right now well. We cannot be arrogant. Cannot put our hope in wealth. Because that is uncertain. You look at people who play the stock market, and some people have gajillions of dollars, it seems like, and then within an instant, they can have zero dollars. Money is uncertain. But let me tell you what, the way that you can behave and act with one another, that's based off of you. What are you able to do in that moment? Are you able to treat someone with kindness? Are you able to love somebody in the midst of it? Are you seeking after a certain lifestyle or are you just going to pay your bills off? <laughs> are you trying to live to where you appear like you have something that you don't have? Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. love how he ends this. He says, guard what has been entrusted to your care. We spent last week talking about thankfulness and in your households more than likely. There's a whole day dedicated to this in, in, our, in our culture where we give thanks. But are we entrusting what we can be thankful for? And, what are, and are we thankful for what we don't have yet also? Guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. There's a lot of people out there that, that claim to have knowledge about all kinds of things, but that doesn't help you, your current context, or anything that's happening in your own life. When you think about this kind of uh, deceitful talk that's been happening, this type of heresy, people were we're going head over heels over things that were godless, things that were not in scripture, and things that caused division. Lots of this was Gnosticism as well. We see lots of different uh, biblical uh, names, biblical figures combated Gnosticism in their time, which is the, the, the study of having secret knowledge, that you need the secret knowledge in order to, in order, in order to obtain the salvation that you need, in order to fully understand what you're supposed to be doing in life. There's no secret knowledge when it comes to salvation. It was a free gift that Christ gave. God will share things with you, and that's amazing. But it's not a secret to Him. He is all-knowing and He knows all. You don't have to know all the details of every single thing that's ever happened in order to live more successfully in that. Are you seeking after God? Are you living in godliness? Are you living in purity? Are you, are you living holy? Are we stewarding what we've been entrusted to and guarding what we've been entrusted to right now? 
turn away from the godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what's falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the faith. John Wimber calls faith, the way that he defines it is is R-I-S-K. The way that you live in faith is you live in risk. You risk things because you believe that that's true. It's true enough for you to risk embarrassment sometimes. Do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit whenever you're walking through the halls of your workplace? Or maybe you're sitting there with somebody and you really sense that there's something going on, but you're too nervous to say something about it. Are you willing to risk being wrong in those, in those times? We need to be forward thinking and having a vision and have a plan and have things to set for what we believe God wants to do, but we also need to be flexible to where we know that the Lord can lead us in a different direction than what we have originally started to plan out and to think of. We need to steward what God is giving us and what he's gifted us. Not be envious, not be malicious. When we seek after our own personal gain in everything that we do out of pride, out of elevated status then it'll be not too long afterwards that we may find ourselves in a very humble position not where I have humbled myself but where I've been humbled and if it ends up being that you lived the whole life where you've been prideful and arrogant and you've stood at the top then when you come before Jesus you will be quickly humbled as you stand before glory true purity, true righteousness. And then you will be met with a question that I would nearly believe with all my heart, but you would say, how have I been so arrogant to make someone this badly that I pushed away the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords so that I could feel like I am someone special. When standing before the God of the universe, the one who is holy, righteous, wonderful, pure, he is just, all-consuming fire, I have completely pushed him off. And now I cannot live in this place with him in full relationship because I've never known him only known myself. Paul gives this instruction to Timothy, and I pray that as we've gone through this book, that you're able to take some of these principles, that if you go back through this book, because I pray that this is not the only time that you read this, through this, this book itself, that as you go through it, you recall these things that you're able to analyze your life. Have I placed myself on the pedestal? Have I sought a position for myself instead of giving honor and glory to Jesus Christ who was and is and is to come? Have I put an idea above Christ and what he's entrusted me to now? Am I listening to godless chatter things that are not contributing to the kingdom of heaven right now? 
I so full of ideas of what could be that I don't do what I should be doing? Let's close our eyes right now. I just want you to take a few moments. I want you to really think and consider. Ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, where are the, way, where are the areas that I've missed the mark? And I've elevated myself and my own ideas above yours. Where have I tried to cut corners and where have I engaged in, in chatter that is not beneficial or holy or, or helpful? Where do I have envy inside? Where I've now decided and started to drive a wedge in my heart between me and somebody else. Where am I filling in thick gaps of things that I don't know of with things that end up being more evil and malicious in the thought? Evil suspicions about people that I don't haven't even given them a chance because I haven't talked to them. Spirit, illuminate those things in our minds that don't please you. Illuminate those things in our hearts that, that have laid dormant, that have tried to hide in shadows. Illuminate those, those thoughts that, that have driven us to think specific ways that maybe we have subconsciously started to do and didn't even realize that that's what we were doing. Lord, I pray a blessing over relationships in this room. I pray a blessing over restored relationships. I pray a blessing over uh, people's finances. Lord, I pray that, that those who struggle to, to meet the next paycheck to where they can pay for the things that they need to, Lord, that as their hope is found in you, as they honor you in their work, as they honor you, with their bosses as they honor you with the next things that they're getting involved with, that Father, that you will bless them, that you will give them favor in their workplace, that you will give them opportunity for advancement, and that they will also be able to know that you are the one who provides for them when they cannot provide for themselves. Father, I pray that we are realized again of your goodness in our life and that all good things come from you. Help us understand that your mercy endures forever so that if we are dealing with conviction and, and inadequate understandings about ourselves, Lord, that you will be able to curtail that and that you'll diminish those feelings of condemnation, that you'll bring that conviction to repentance and from repentance, we will see and receive your peace. I pray against the chaos that has been going on in different people's lives and their, and their thought processes, Lord, in their relationships in their jobs, Lord, that you will bring peace to those things in Jesus' name, that those who are lost will be found, those who are broken will be healed, those who are sick will be made well. Father, in everything, let us recall and remember your cross and what you did on the cross, and that it wasn't just the sacrifice that you made, but it was the power of God that raised Christ from the grave.
us worship you in our every single breath, in our everyday lifestyle, and in the communication that we have with one another. Let that be sweet worship and incense as we're able to work through things and that conflict could be resolved. There could be positive conflict so that it could bring a resolution to what's going on. It could bring correction. It could bring um, corrective behavior. It could bring intimacy, love, and compassion. We love you, Jesus. We give you thanks. We give you praise. You're so wonderful. Thank you for this book, for this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Let us remember and recall the lessons that are in there. Let us go back and study them with intent. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. You guys have a wonderful, marvelous rest of your day. Hope you guys had a great weekend this past, this past week. Go and still have, have some food with somebody. Let them know you love them. Keep up with people throughout the week. If you'll be here Wednesday, we'll see you Wednesday. If not, we'll see you guys next Sunday. Have a marvelous, marvelous, marvelous weekend. Love you guys.